Thanks for that pressure, Tina. Oh, Steph. <laughs> All right, so I'm already making you laugh. All right, good. Yeah, I'm going to uh, uh, the word tonight to you guys. You guys ready for this? All right, uh, let's, just, uh, let's just pray real quick. Can you bow your heads with me? Uh, Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you that yeah, you have a word for every student, Lord, in this place. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Bless this time, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, yeah, yesterday I was just preparing for uh, tonight's sermon. And I was just at this random cafe. Uh, what's cool is I, I just moved to Hapjong. And Hapjong's popping. You know, I feel, I feel young and hip around there. You know, seeing all these young people there. And uh, they have a lot of small cafes. And uh, as I was just preparing there, I'm going to get rid of this flashlight because it's blinding me. But, um, yeah, I was just preparing and asking God, uh, you know, what kind of word he wants me to give to you guys tonight. And uh, all of a sudden, just by myself, I just started uh, just feeling the presence of God. And I started feeling his heart for each and every one of you guys. So, yeah, it's going to be powerful. God has a word for each and every one of you. And uh, it's a little embarrassing, but man, I just started crying and breaking out because God loves each and every one of you so much. Like the weight of his love, it's, it could be overwhelming sometimes, but it's the sweetest thing. Just a quick question. How many people grew up in the church? Can you just raise your hand up? Okay, that's most of you guys. All right. Uh, how many people were PKs or MKs? If you know what that means, you'll raise your hand up. But pastor's kid, missionary's kid. All right, one, one right here. Okay, just a couple. All right, just, just curious because I'm a PK too. So, And I was one of those uh, PKs where it's either a good PK or a bad PK. And... I was one of those bad PKs that kind of had my rebellious stage, but uh, I'll get into that more later, but um, yeah, just to let you know, that's not my identity anymore, you know, this PK or this bad PK anymore, because once I really tasted the sweet love of Jesus, I just knew who I really was, and I knew I could never go back to another false identity, And uh, but before I go into that more, let's just turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter uh, 12. So yeah, if you don't have your Bible, bring out your iPhone, bring out your iPad mini, bring out something. You know, you can uh, definitely read the word right now. So I'm going to talk about a man named Jacob tonight. And in order to talk about Jacob, I'm going to have to talk about where he comes from. And his dad was Isaac. In order to talk about Isaac, I got to talk about Abraham. So that's why we're in Genesis chapter 12. It's verses 2 to 3. So let me just read that real quick. It says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This promise, it's known as the Abrahamic blessing, and it's got a generational aspect to it. And that's why whenever you heard uh, people talk about the God of Israel, they always said the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. There's this generational uh, impact that it had. And, you know, you see this a lot in Abraham's life and uh, Isaac's life. They had a lot of times of testing. And God always reminded him of or them of this promise, this generational blessing that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Even when Abraham was like an old man, like 80 years old, he said, you know, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Even though you have no kids, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. So just keep that in mind. And that's the family background that Jacob is coming from. 
And the name Jacob actually means uh, heel grabber. It means uh, heel uh, holder, actually. And Jacob, he was a shrewd dude, all right? Jacob was a very uh, quick-thinking, very devious kind of guy. And, uh, yeah, he even when he came out of his mother's womb, he grabbed his older brother's uh, heel. You know, he had this something in him that, uh, yeah, just wanted to make him so shrewd. Thank you. Um, What's the word in Korean? It's like sagaso or something, no? I think I just made a word up. So, okay, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, anyways, um, obviously you could tell how good my Korean is, but, yeah, he was this shrewd guy, and he was like, you ever have a friend like Jacob where he's like the quickest person to, to you know, do something with money? Or like, for example, uh, I remember I was in high school once, and, Man, I have this anointing to just find money on the ground. The other week, I found manon on the ground. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And, man, when I was in high school, I think I found either a 50 or or $100 bill on the streets. And then I was with all my friends. I didn't say a word, and I just <laughs> ran, you know? I saw it from the distance. I ran. I got it. And I got it. You know, I was a shrewd dude. I was like Jacob. And I'm sure as I'm describing people like Jacob, you all have someone in your head right now. Maybe you're that guy. Or girl. But, yeah, I was kind of like that too. But, hey, when I found that $100, I, I bought, like, food for all my friends. So I was uh, a little selfless. But anyways, um, yeah, but also Jacob, he was a mama's boy, all right? It said that uh, his mom loved him. Rebecca loved Jacob. And, you know, it said he didn't like to play outside. He was a, he was a quiet man who liked to dwell inside. That's what it says. And he was, he was, uh, he was a mama's boy, you know? And, uh on the other hand, it said Isaac loved Esau. Esau is Jacob's brother. And Esau, he was a man's man. You know, he was this, he was like a burly man. It says he was a skillful hunter. He was a man of the field. He was this hairy, burly man, kind of like our Pastor John Newfeld, you know? Just this, like a man of all men, you know? Like, once you see him, once you saw him, you're like, man, that, that's a man right there. You know, that's the kind of guy Esau was. And uh, his brother Jacob, again, he was just this, like, trickster. He was this little prankster. He was this, um, you know? And, uh, yeah, he just liked to play, uh, he was very deceiving in a lot of ways. So, you know, one day Esau came home, he was real hungry. And then he says, man, I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. Man, can you, can you make me some food, brother? And then he says, I'll, I'll give it to you, but give me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. You know, he just manipulated that time. And, and then, you know, Esau gives in. He sells his birthright. Later, I don't know if you know the story, but um, yeah, Isaac wants to bless Esau, his oldest son. But, you know, Jacob, again, is deceiving. He's a little trickster, a prankster. And he tells his brother, uh, he arranges it in a way with the help of his mother to make his brother go out and hunt some game, you know, bring some food. And while they're doing that, you know, Jacob, this kind of girly guy he he has no hair he's kind of asian you know he has less hair on his arms so he gets some uh wool you know some animal fur on his arms make it make it seem like he's more manly you know i shaved yesterday so so i'm not as hairy right now but i got a lot of hair too i'm I'm a man too but um yeah so jacob he he deceives his father into getting the blessing right and he's that's the kind of guy this this guy he's a deceiver jacob's a deceiver and after he takes away the birthright, and after he takes away uh, the blessing away from his brother Esau, he pretty much runs away because 
Esau's mad. He's about to, you know, kick some Jacob butt right now. And you know, you know, Esau will just own Jacob because Jacob's a guy who likes to settle on the inside, right? He likes to dwell inside. And so Jacob, he's literally running for his life. And with the suggestion of his mom, he says, uh, the mom says, go to my brother Laban. And uh, yeah, find yourself a wife there. Find yourself a little little honey, you know, a little girl on the side. And yeah, just find a wife that you can uh, really just marry and, and just, you know, be safe too. Um, so what happens? He goes there. Uh, he meets servant. He meets Laban. And when he meets Laban, oh snap, he meets, he meets Rachel. And Rachel, she was fine. You know why she was fine? Because Jacob said, man, I will, I will work for her. Whatever it takes, just let, let me just marry her. I'll work for you up to seven years. He's the one that offered that. He's the one that said, let me work for her for seven years. But, you know, as he works for her, he says that it was only like a couple days, you know, because Rachel was that fine. So, yeah, he just he's just working. And as soon as uh, the seven years are up, you know, they all get, uh, they all have a little party. And weddings back in the day in this Jewish culture, man, they knew how to get down. Like, they had like a seven-day wedding. They had a lot of wine. Matter of fact, if you didn't have wine at a party, it was, it was offensive. It was like me spitting in your face kind of thing. If I invited you to a wedding and there was no wine, you know, there's there's wine. Wine was always a sign of joy, not not debauchery, not getting drunk. Nobody get drunk after this. All right. But yeah, and, and they got uh, they parted it up. And Jacob was real happy because he worked seven years for his new wife. Right. But Laban, it's funny because the one who is the deceiver got deceived and he ends up sleeping with Leah or Leah, not uh, Rachel. And so what happens? He works another seven years, right? And it says that, uh, is it Leah or Leah? I always get it mixed up. Leah, or like Princess Leah? Okay, so Leah, she, she, it says she has weak eyes. And let me just translate that to the today's new international David version. That means she was just ugly. <laughs> let, me just, let me just say it. The Bible, Bible's a little, little nicer, but yeah. Um, she had weak eyes, which meant she was ugly, all right? And... And, uh, yeah, you knew that Rachel was so fine because Rachel kind of goes crazy later because Leah, yeah, Leah, she's the one that uh, has, like, a bunch of kids for Jacob, but Rachel has none. And Rachel says, like, I want kids or I'm going to die. <laughs> That's what she says. And she's crazy, but Jacob's so, like, blinded by love, blinded by that f- the fine looks of, of, uh, of her. And he just, you know, you could tell she was fine. But Ra- Leah, yeah, let's just speak the truth. Let's be real here. She wasn't that fine. Uh, that's not the point of my sermon, though, so I kind of <laughs> emphasize a little too much on that. But as he's working 14 years, almost 20 years of his life, everything that happened, he was just prospering in everything that he did. It says the flocks that Jacob oversaw, they prospered. Everything he touched prospered. It was because of that Abrahamic blessing I talked about before, that generational blessing that followed him all this time. But the thing is, as Jacob prospered, you know, he just felt like he had to leave soon. And actually, God spoke to him in a dream. And he said, you got to return to the land that I've called you to go to. And as he returns, uh, or as he gets ready to return, he tells his, his wives, um, hey, Laban, his favor has, has gone away from me. Uh, I, I could see it. His favor has faded. Uh, we got to go. So he actually tell he doesn't even tell Laban. 
and they get on some camels, you know, like 30 of them, and they take all the flocks, they take all their things, and, and they just leave. And he just saw the favor leave. And as Jacob runs away from Laban, it says that he met one of uh, Esau's messengers. And Esau, his brother who, was, who had beef with him, you know, his brother who wanted him pretty much dead, he saw one of his messengers. And he said that Esau's going to come and meet you very soon, Jacob. And actually that night, Jacob, uh, you know, he, he divides his, all his goods, he divides it into two parties. He, you know, puts one wife over there, other wife over there. He puts like 30 camels over there, 30 sheep over there. And he just uh, divides it all up and he's just getting ready to meet his brother. You know, he's scared for his life. And it says that that night he had, uh, he encountered someone. And it says that he wrestled someone. Uh, and it was actually, he wrestled with God. It says that he wrestled with God who was in the image of man and he wrestled with him to the breaking of dawn, it says. And it's interesting because he was almost like beating God, but, you know, God was still saying like, I am, I'm so strong that look, look what I do. And he touches his socket and his leg goes out, you know, and then he's, he's wrestling with daybreak. But after uh, Jacob kind of, you know, prevails in this wrestling match, he says that, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. And it says, I'm going to change your name because it says, you have striven with men and with God and have prevailed. And Jacob, I just want you to imagine that again. Jacob wrestled with the living God. Other people, Moses, he couldn't even see him face to face. He had to hide behind a rock and he only saw the back of God. And, you know, there was this glory that came on his face. You know, he was, he was like glowing and no one could see face, God face to face because you'd die, you know? But I want you to get this in your head that Jacob actually wrestled with God. And what I want to ask you is, did you ever feel like you wrestled with God before? You ever feel like you were wrestling with God? And the reason Jacob was wrestling with God, he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He didn't even know it was God at the time, but he said, random stranger, I don't know who you are, but I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And later he finds out it's God. And he names that place Peniel, which means I've struggled with God. I've seen him face to face and I still live. And what I want to ask you is, do you ever, did you ever feel that struggle in your life? Did you ever feel like you're wrestling with God to get a blessing, to get a breakthrough? Did you ever feel like it was a wrestle that lasted all night even? Um, yeah, just take like 30 seconds to think of that, especially as I drink this water right now. Yeah. So yeah, Jacob, he wrestled with God. And I know a lot of you guys felt like you wrestled with God before too, because I sure did. I remember feeling like I had to wrestle with God to gain his blessing or to simply feel worthy. So yeah, let me, uh, let me just share a brief personal example of me wrestling with God. And, uh, you know, Pastor Erin, I don't think she's spoken at all this semester, right? Yeah, so all the new people, you guys don't know how, how raw Emmaus can be with our testimonies. And it's because we have this level of freedom. And even if you've asked some of our staff, it's, we're able to share anything. Because there's no reason for us to hide anything. Uh, because we're free. And when Jesus came to set us free, you know, it says it's for freedom he has set us free. So, yeah, just going back to my, uh, 
just my background, my testimony. I said I grew up in a Christian home. My, my dad's a pastor. And the interesting thing is, even though I, my, my grandpa was a pastor, my uncle was a pastor, I had all these pastors, too many pastors in my family. And the interesting thing is, man, my family's not the most uh, healthy family. It goes for my extended family, but definitely my personal family, too. And I'm just going to make myself a little vulnerable to you guys because, yeah, I'm this kind of, you know, goofy guy that makes a lot of jokes and, and funs and laugh. But, yeah, let me just be real with you guys. Let me just share some of my heart with you. And, yeah, my family, for the most part, there's a lot of violence in my family. Uh, I remember my sisters, uh, one's nine years older. The other one is seven years older. And, yeah, I remember just there's a lot of fighting, whether it was with my sisters Man, they'll go crazy just fighting. I hope they don't hear this. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, they'll just fight a lot. Man, my parents, they'll fight with my sisters a lot. And I remember so many nights waking up when I'm in elementary school just to screaming, you know, like 2, 3 in the morning. Like, I remember leaving my room, leaving my house embarrassed, afraid, because my neighbors were probably embarrassed uh, or probably heard you know, all the fighting and the screaming the night before. And, man, my house was not a safe house. My house was too much violence, too much fighting. And, you know, as I grew up with that, I, had, I didn't want to do anything with the church. You know, I, I always kind of believed in God, and I always wanted to, you know, follow him. And I always kind of knew he was real. But as I grew older and as I really knew what that meant, especially when I was, like, in middle school and high school, I didn't want to do anything with the church. Because I knew that, man, if – because most of our fights, most of the reason – why my sisters fought with my parents or whatever. It was because of church-related stuff anyways. And I was like, man, if this is what it means to be a believer, and if this is what it means to really follow God, I don't want to do anything with that. So by the time I was in high school, man, I just hated church. Uh, I went every Sunday, but I was just so numb to it. And, you know, when it came down to it, I just thought church was boring. I thought, you know, being a Christian was boring. I thought... Uh, you know, just being a Christian was doing a list of certain things, going to church, and one day I'm going to just go to heaven. And I became so numb to all the sermons I heard. I became so numb to, you know, what was quote-unquote sin. And, you know, it's to the point where I was going to church with, you know, hangovers every Sunday. And I remember, like, there were a few services where I had to just slip out because I had to barf. You know, I had to slip out of worship service because I just drank too much the night before. And I was so numb to sin, you know, and it says in the word where uh, the Holy Spirit may grieve you, but we, we choose to, to numb it, you know, we choose to numb the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and uh, I don't know, maybe some of you guys feel what I'm saying, maybe you guys are even going through this now, uh, but whether you're going through this now or before, what I want to do tell you is, man, there's hope, and by the time I got to college, actually, there was a point where I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore, I know what's going to happen when you know, I, I smoke up. I know what's going to happen when I sleep around. I know what's going to happen when I drink and ha I'm going to have that hangover. I'm going to be having that void in my heart not be filled again. It's going to grow larger. And by the time I got to college, I was just so tired, sick and tired of everything. And that's when I kind of met this similar ministry against something uh, like Emmaus. And I remember when I just made that decision to come to God, I was saying, God, you know, I've tasted things of this world and I know where I end up. I know it doesn't satisfy. I want to, and I took this tiny step just saying, God, I want to come towards you. And next thing I know, man, God just rocked me. God, I went to this uh, conference in Korea, in Busan, actually, in uh, 2007. It was called uh, Campus Missions 2007. And 
I remember there was like 20,000 people. It was like over 300 nations represented. It was crazy. And there's so many people. And I remember, I still remember the speaker. He's the president of CCC and he had the highest voice ever. He was like, welcome to CM2007. And he was just, <laughs> man, we'd always make fun of him. It was, it was so bad. But man, but I remember I was this freshman and that was, uh, that was like a couple months after I really committed to, to just walk with God. And I go to this conference, I, I remember getting on this bus, and they made me and my two uh, Korean-American friends, the tour guides of Korea, just because we're Korean, but we've never been to Busan in our life before. So we're like, yeah, um, like, this is the beach, road, you know? We didn't, we didn't know what was there. It was our first time, too. But now we had a bus full of uh, Indians, like Indians from India, Indians. And... <laughs> Man, there was just so many of them, and what was really cool is I got to meet some of the staff, and it was like this one uh, woman who was like, I don't know, like 40-something, and she was a, a CCC staff for like 30 years plus, and, oh, I guess, she, I mean, she was older then, so yeah, uh, but yeah, she was this staff, and, you know, crazy persecution she received, not just as a Christian, but as a woman, but she was still faithfully ministering, and I remember just hearing these stories and thinking like, man... God, you're so real. You're so big. I remember during the worship time, it was crazy, 20,000 people. I'll just be worshiping, and then they're like, pray with the people next to you. I was praying with my brothers from Congo right here and just holding hands with them. I didn't know what they're saying, but, you know, it was powerful. And going back to the, to the tour bus that I was in charge of, uh, we, we got off at this one place I never um, went to before, and we're just walking, and uh, this one brother, this Indian brother, he just comes, and he, he holds my hand. I'm like, okay. It's culture shock, but uh, I'm just going to do it, you know? And then, so we're, we're holding hands. Man, it's really romantic now that I think about it. But we're holding hands by the beach, and we're, uh, we're walking, and there's a big group, but we're kind of in the back. And, and I still remember what he, what he said to me. He was saying, he was just so happy. You know, he had all this joy, and he was saying, man, I'm so happy that I'm here. And I didn't think I was going to come to Korea because we actually, a lot of Korean churches or CCC uh, organizations, they had to fundraise for a lot of these uh, poor nations that couldn't afford to come to Korea. And he was one of those people that, that got blessed to, um, to come. So he, yeah, we're holding hands, we're walking, and he's like, I'm so happy being here. I'm so blessed. It's such an honor. And honestly, I'm probably never going to see you again. But I know I'm going to see you in heaven. I'm, I'm so man, it's going to be so good. And I remember just meeting people like that, and I was like, man, God, you're real. You're so much bigger than I thought. You know, I grew up in Philly most of my life. I grew up in this small Korean-American or Korean church, and I thought that was it. I thought that was all there was to God. But as I took a little step of faith towards God, I realized, man, God is so real. God is so big. And I'm sharing this because, you know, similar to a lot of you guys, I had a really uh, powerful encounter with God, you know, when I enjoyed, when I joined a college ministry. And a lot of, like a lot of you guys, uh, whether it was this semester or last semester, there's been some radical changes. And, you know, it was just God moving in your heart. But what sucked was, for me, I felt like I went back. There was a point, it was like my sophomore, junior year, where I kind of fell back into my old ways. And I was still serving. I was still part of uh, what was amazed to me back then. I was, I was like a leader and all these things, but, you know, just the way it was structured, uh, there was no accountability, and I got into this relationship. And just to be real, you know, I fell sexually, and we were 
very active, and I fell into these old habits that I thought I was done with. And I thought I was, I overcame, and going back to Jacob wrestling with God, I felt like I was wrestling with God. I felt like I was wrestling with being worthy in front of God. So I was saying, God, what hurt me the most was I was tired of praying the same prayer. I was tired of confessing the same sin. I felt like I was never going to be free again. And with that, I was wrestling with, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be in front of you. And pretty much I was tired of just living this double life. And you know what happens when you wrestle with God? When you wrestle with God, fear comes into your life. And just going back to Jacob, you know, he wrestles with God. He names the place Peniel. And the next day, uh, he leaves uh, and he's on his way to meet Esau. He's the last one. He sends uh, his family and his uh, belongings ahead of him. And then he saves himself for last. But even before that, he sends a uh, little, uh, what's the word, like levels of gifts. You know, he sends them various gifts like some sheep or some, I don't know, myrrh or whatever they, they had back then. It was like, it was a popping gift, you know. So they were just sending these gifts in, in different waves. And just to kind of uh, ease Esau's anger. At least that's what he thought, right? And as he's sending gifts, Esau, he finally meets him. And Esau says, I don't want these gifts. He rejects them, but Jacob insists. And, it's, and he says that I'm sending you, sending you these gifts to find favor in the sight of the Lord, to find favor in front of you. And Esau's like, dude, I'm not, I'm not mad at you anymore, little brother. You know, I'm not mad at you anymore. And uh, he's saying, like, I'm not going to have this, you know, revenge on you. And he's saying, like, man, I have favor with you. And it's because ultimately... God's favor, God's promise was over his life. But Jacob kept forgetting. He kept forgetting the promises that were spoken over him. But, you know, he thought his circumstance was bigger. And so what happens? Jacob tells Esau to go ahead. He says, man, I got, um, I got kids. You know, my sheep are here. They're, they're kind of weak and frail. You got this army of men. And just go on ahead. You know, we're going to slow you down. We'll meet you at this place called uh, Seir. And Esau's like, all right, I'll, I'll go. And then... Jacob ends up going to a place called Succoth. It's called Succoth. <laughs> Succoth. So, uh, pretty much I share this because Jacob feared Esau. It says there's, and because he feared, there's no room for trust. And earlier, Jacob, when he was talking to Esau, he said, I've seen your face. And get this, really listen to this. He says, I've seen your face, Esau, which is like seeing the face of God. Jacob failed to realize that God's promises were bigger than his circumstances. And he thought Esau was this hard and unforgiving man, and that's all he saw. He saw Esau as this, yeah, this guy who would not forgive him, this guy who would be hard on him, this guy who would, you know, take his life or take his kids, take his, all his possessions, and he forgot that God's promise was bigger than his circumstance. He forgot the generational promise of blessing God gave to him. And I share this because fear in a relationship leaves no room for trust or intimacy. There was no room for trust or intimacy in the relationship between Esau and Jacob. They were brothers. There was no trust at all. Jacob's still deceiving him from day one, from taking his birthright, from taking his blessing. And even right now where he's saying, go on ahead with me, uh, without me. You know, I'll meet you there. And he goes somewhere else. There is this lack of trust, lack of intimacy. And in the same way, this is true in our lives today. 
just going back to, uh, yeah, just my own personal story I just want to share where, yeah, just there's a lot of fighting in my family, right? And because of that, I always kind of had this distance from my dad. And, yeah, my relationship with him growing up was very uh, non-existent in a sense. We didn't really talk a lot. Only thing we talked about was, you know, did you eat? Okay, good. And then, like, if I call him, it's just like, especially in high, uh, high school or college, it was like, all right, did you eat? You're good? Okay, I'll give the phone to mom. You know, that was, that was pretty much our conversation. And uh, it was very surface level. We never talked that deep. And, yeah, just because I never, I never experienced, like, an intimacy with him. And I remember a lot of times uh, in middle school when I was, like, playing all these sports, like soccer and basketball, I remember him just not coming out some, some games. And I think, in a way, I was kind of happy because I was like, all right, oh, man, he's... I'm going to be embarrassed if he comes out, you know, this, this Korean man who can't speak English. And, you know, I was, I was kind of relieved, but I was also kind of hurt, you know, that he never came. And I think all these little things definitely uh, is hard in my heart towards him. And actually coming out to Korea a year and a half ago, that's when I really realized, man, I want to I wanna change this. And I want us to be better. And just going back to how bad it really was, let me just paint you a picture. Uh, high school is to the point where, Man, we're fighting like every day. Like we're, we're cursed. I was cursing at him at the top of my lungs and we're just fighting and he didn't understand a lot of my curses. Hallelujah. But, um, you know, my mom, my mom knew and she's like, don't talk to your dad that way. And man, we just fight a lot, a lot of fighting, a lot of holes in my wall. I was such an angry child back then. But, um, yeah, and it was to the point where, yeah, we just got physical. Like we, uh, I remember one day, it was my senior year and, I forget what we're talking about, but yeah, we just started fighting, and then I chose the worst day to wear these slippery socks, let me tell you. Man, so my, I have this hardwood floor in my, in my room, and the one day I choose these, like, silky, you know, smooth socks, and we're fighting, we're arguing, and next thing I know, like, he pushes me, I push him back, and I remember I took every fiber of my being not to hit my dad, and I'm so happy I didn't hit him, you know? But he hit me. So, but as he's hitting me and as he's pushing me, I'm slipping and sliding with these socks, you know. So, man, it was just it was just such a bad day to wear those socks. But yeah, we're we're just fighting. And uh, actually, this tooth right here, it's it's uh, fake. The bottom half. For all those people who don't know now, you know. Uh, yeah, the bottom half is fake, and I have a little chip here. So when I smile, oh, man, all you guys are gonna see this now. But yeah, there's this little little gap because they uh, shave my teeth. It's fake. Um, and my dad broke my tooth. And I remember I just had to get out of there. I remember I just, like, punched this ginormous hole in my wall, like, numerous times. And I just said, I got to get out of here because before I do anything stupid, I drive my car, I leave. And then I just had to cool down for by myself in a random parking lot. And that was to the point, you know, where our relationship was. Just a lot of violence, a lot of fighting. There was no intimacy. And the fear I had was, man, my dad's going to disappoint. My dad's going to embarrass me, you know? And that was something I really, uh, it, it got a lot better, especially when I actually, you know, started walking with the Lord in college or tried to. And yeah, it got a lot better. And there was a lot of forgiveness and healing. But, you know, just because in a worldly sense, it may seem like the standard is good and it's healthy. You know, God wants us to go deeper, especially with our parents, especially with our family, our loved ones. He wants us to love those uh, that are hard to love. And, yeah, so he's just uh, putting him on my heart ever since I came to Korea. And last summer, 
I got to go uh, to uh, California. I met up with Justin, wherever you're, yeah, I met up with Justin. Uh, I was there for three weeks. I was doing this intern program swap with our church, New Philadelphia, and Church Living Hope. And the pastor of that church, is his name is Pastor Benjamin. And I remember I met him, and I met his father as well. And they have this awesome relationship. It's a, it's a beautiful relationship. You guys ever watched, like, The Cosby Show? Anybody know The Cosby Show? If not, it's like, it was almost like a TV show, almost cheesy. Like, it seemed fake, the level of intimacy they had. Because they were so close, because they were so gentle, they just asked how they're doing. It was a simple thing, like, you know, Pastor Benjamin was like, Dad, how are you doing? I said, I'm good, son. I'm good. Dad, did you get those sweaters I gave you? He said, yeah, thank you so much, son. <laughs> Period. That was it. But I was like, am I watching a 1990s TV show or something right now? Like, what? It looked fake, but, man, it looked so sweet. They had this intimacy that I just felt. And I remember hearing Pastor Benjamin speak in one of his uh, sermons, and he was sharing about his background, too. And it's kind of similar to mine, where he fought a lot with his parents, too. Uh, maybe not as bad as me, but he fought a lot, and, and uh, they didn't have the best relationship. And as a matter of fact, there was a lot of disappointment on Pastor Benjamin's end, too. Uh, Pastor Benjamin was sharing how, yeah, he also didn't have his dad come to his sports games, or you know, there were times when his dad wouldn't pick him up from certain events, and he'd be like the only kid there. You know, out, out of uh, all the other students, out, even though all his classmates, their parents picked them up, Pastor Benjamin would be the only one there. And he had this fear of disappointment. Uh, and it, they said it got a lot better, but he said that even came to the point with uh, his daughter, Alethea, this, this beautiful um, girl. And he was saying how he was afraid to, you know, just let his dad disappoint his daughter. He was afraid to tell Alethea that, hey, grandpa's going to come and visit our house today only to have his father not come. You know, and there is this fear of being disappointed. There's this fear of being hurt. And because of that, there was this block. And one day the Lord confronted Pastor Benjamin, and he said in his prayer closet where God was saying, just let it go and let uh, me just come into this and get rid of that fear. And as soon as uh, he told Alethea pretty much his, you know, her grandfather's coming, like, the grandfather never flaked again. You know, Pastor Benjamin's uh, father never, yeah, lied or not lied, but never, um, what's another word? Flake. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, he always held his word. He always held his promise. And uh, he never disappointed Alethea or Pastor Benjamin. And in the same way, yeah, when we have this fear of being disappointed, being hurt in our relationships with each other, there's this block that keeps us from being intimate with one another. And I was just, like, really applying that in my relationship with my father, too. And it's been good. It's been a lot better. Uh, you know, there's still some things I'm praying for, and I'm, I'm waiting for the breakthrough. But I don't have that fear of being embarrassed. I don't have that fear of uh, just assuming he's always going to do the worst thing possible, you know, and assume that he's going to do that negative thing. And, yeah, that fear was gone now. And, you know, I mention this because... Some of you here have also been hurt. Some of you here have been disappointed too by people. And it could be your parents. It could be your family members. It could be especially someone like your dad. It could be even church leaders, you know, pastors you had in the past that really hurt you, that, you know, left a scar. 
And when we're hurt and when we're in those vulnerable times, you know, our heart, it's like, it's like wet cement. And when someone does something bad to you, they leave a footprint and it just lasts for a really, really long time. And maybe there's some, some of you in here that have been hurt in that way, been disappointed in that way. And a lot of you may feel that, you know, God's also going to disappoint you in the same way. And especially for those of you who ha- don't have the best relationship with your dad, like me, uh, that was something I-, I felt like whatever I saw in my dad, I saw that in God the Father as well. I felt like, man, just as my dad disappointed me or just as it's hard for me to come close to that or actually have a conversation with my father, it's hard for me to do that with God too. I thought God was a God who was distant. I thought God was, was a God who was just far away and hard to approach. He was just so holy that, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't go near him. I had a fear of the Lord, but it wasn't a good fear. And the fear of the Lord, the Bible tells us, it's a fear of the Lord that never pushes us away, but draws us closer. Actually, the Bible tells us to delight in the fear of the Lord. And it's saying, delight in the fear of the Lord so that yeah, you may know my ways so that you may come closer to me, not go further away from me. So I'm here to tell you tonight that God isn't the Godfather, but he's God your father. He's God the Heavenly Father. He's not a father that's, that's just hard-pressed, and he's not like how Jacob thought Esau was. So, yeah, that's the... I feel like there's some people like that in this room here tonight, but I also feel like there's people here who think something else, kind of like how it was in high school, where I feel like a lot of you... Like, at least for me, when I thought to really walk with God again, to really commit my life to God again, I thought it meant, man, God, my life is yours. Here's everything. It's going to be a long life. It's going to be a hard life. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that country for missions that, you know, nobody wants to go to. I'll, I'll just go because, man, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to die to myself. It means I got to give up all the good things. I got to... You know, stop partying, stop drinking. I got to stop, uh, you know, doing the fun things and start living this life. And I remember hearing this analogy where someone said uh, the thrill of a Christian, the person's thrill for the whole week is when that Christian gives out bulletins on Sunday. Like, there's this, you guys know uh, Simpsons? Ned Flanders? Anybody know Ned Flanders? Yeah, there's this uh, stigma, I guess, of Christianity where... It's just so boring, and it's so lifeless that the thrill is when you give out the bulletins, when you say Oakley Doakley, like Ned Flanders. And, yeah, there's this uh, image that we have that as God is the Father, he wants to take away from us more than what we want to give him. And because of that, we feel that we can't trust God. We feel that, man, if I sign up for this familia, or if I you know, keep coming out to Emmaus and keep meeting up with some of these crazy staff members— man, they're going to just ask me to, to just give something up. I don't want to give up these Tuesday nights anymore. I don't want to give up these Thursday, thirsty Thursday nights anymore. I, I don't want to go to familiar anymore. I know what thirsty Thursday is, all right? And if you don't, praise God. But, you know, there's this stigma that, man, if I'm going to really commit to God, then I got to give something up. And I don't want to give that up. And, there's this lie that's saying that he's going to take from us more than we're willing to give. 
But I'm here to tell you that God wants to bless you beyond what you can give him. He wants to draw you near to him. He wants to give you a destiny and a purpose. He wants to give you life. In John 10.10, it says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to bring life and to bring it in abundance. Life abundant. And the answer to this is perfect love. Because it says, perfect love casts out all fear. So if you feel like there's this fear of you losing something, or you uh, being hurt or disappointed, whether it's in your relationship with others or your relationship with God, just remember, perfect love casts out all fear. And there's uh, just going back to when I was sharing my own personal story with wrestling with God, where I felt very unworthy. I know some of you may feel like, man, you've drifted away. I don't know, maybe some of you may feel kind of distant. And it's not that you're like sinning or, you know, doing a certain thing, uh, but maybe even just your walk with God has just been stale. Maybe with your walk with God has just been a little dry. And, um, yeah, whether you, because you've done certain things or just because, uh, just the routine. And what I want to tell you here tonight is there's nothing that could separate us from the love of God. And that's the kind of father we have. You know, God, the father, not the Godfather, he's a God who, you know, wipes our, our past clean. And let me just share a story of how I felt the Father's love before, how I experienced the Father's love before. And uh, when I visited the States last summer, I got to meet up with my mom. And, uh, yeah, I was just uh, sharing with her all the things I was learning in Korea, all the growth I experienced. And uh, I was just saying, Oma, Mom, I'm really sorry for all the trouble I caused you when I was younger. You know, all the... Yeah, all the late nights I came or the nights I didn't come home, every time I, you know, just came home smelling like smoke or drugs or, you know, alcohol, going to church with hangovers, I'm just so sorry for giving you such a hard time. And my mom's like a prayer warrior. She prayed for me every day, and that's why I know where I am today because of her. But I was just telling her, I'm so sorry for making your life so hard. And what shocked me was she just looked at me straight in the face straight in the eyes and she said David or Changju she calls me Changju she says Changju like what are you talking about she's like what trouble like I don't remember the the hurt you caused me I don't I remember it was there but I don't remember the specific things and that just blew me away and I was like hold up hold up hold up you don't remember that time I snuck out and took that car out before I had my license and you know I you call me at four in the morning and you lost that much sleep because of me. You don't remember that time I, yeah, just kept rebelling. I kept like fighting with you and Appa all those times. And she said, I don't remember. And that just blew me away that she could forget something. And that was just simply because she had the heart of my mother, but she had the heart of God the Father too. And that same way, if you feel, some of you feel that, man, it's, there's something I've done or there's something that, yeah, it just kept me from God. Just know that there's nothing that could separate us from the love of God. My mom forgot my past. And it's not that she just forgot that I did something bad, but she forgot it in a sense that she, wiped, she, she didn't hold it against me. And in 1 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. 
Isaiah 61, 7 says, Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you'll receive, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. And those who receive an inheritance, they're sons of God. And each and every one of you are called to be sons of God, and you receive an inheritance. You don't receive something that's just uh, full of shame, full of despair. Yeah, I'm here to tell you that God is the Father. God is the prodigal father. And there's a story that Jesus shared where, uh, about the prodigal son. And it was this son who, he just went to his dad and said, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want all the things that are in your will when you die. Let me get it. I'm young right now. I want to go out. I want to just live it up. And he pretty much told his dad, Dad, you're dead to me. You know, you mean nothing to me. I just want what I could gain from you, and I just want to do my own thing. So dad says, okay. He gives him up to uh, half of his inheritance, half of his belongings, gives it to this prodigal son. He goes out, and he just wastes it. You know, he, he wastes it all. He's partying it up. He's living it up. But, man, he wastes it all. And, you know, it's to the point where he doesn't have a house, and he's just eating what the pigs are eating. And he says, you know what? Man, even the servants at my house, my father's house, eat better than this. I'm just going to go back. As soon as he goes back, you know, he's expecting you know, the father to just lay down, you know, lay down the hammer to just punish him and all these things. But what happens is as he's kind of walking, you know, downcast and, and afraid to experience the, the punishment or whatever he's going to get, what happens? The prodigal father runs after him. It says that he clothes him with righteousness. It says that he holds a party for him. And there's this aspect of the father that is sometimes hard to to grab for us when we think of God. God is the Father. God wants to give you so much more than what you want to give Him. Yeah, just tell your neighbor, God is the Father. Yeah, I just feel like... Um, Man, I'm making myself real vulnerable right now. But, yeah, if there's any shame or anything you feel like is just keeping you from this block uh, or keeping you and blocking you from uh, this walk with God, I just felt God was saying, man, his love for you is, is furious. It's jealous. And there's really nothing that could separate us from his love. And just going back to Jacob, um, you know, Jacob felt like he had to strive to gain favor of man, but he, he felt like he had to strive to gain the favor of God. You know, it says that he was wrestling with God to gain the promises of God. But what Jacob forgot was that God's promises never left him. That's why God had to keep reminding him because Jacob forgot. But God's promises never left him. And what I'm here to tell you tonight, this is the point of why I'm speaking. You don't have to wrestle with God. Whether you're, you feel like you're living this lifestyle of sin and just kind of that's keeping you from God, or whether you just feel like your walk with God is dry, man, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And you don't have to wrestle with Him anymore. The Abrahamic blessing that says, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you into a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. That blessing is for us today too. You don't have to wrestle with God. Yeah, can we just uh, 
Just bow our heads real quick. You know, God's promises, they're stronger than the circumstances or strongholds in your life. And what we need to do in response is just simply align our hearts with the word and promises of God. The biggest force that keeps us, the biggest force that keeps us from God, it's not Satan, it's not demons, but it's simply our will. It's our own will. And what I want to tell you tonight is just to know the primary heart of God and know that it's a heart of love. The primary heart of God is one of love. And it's a heart that never controls but sets us free. It's a heart that never pushes us but leads us. And when God loves you, he never overrides you. And for those who just feel like they've been striving, they've been wrestling, they've been wrestling to get the promises of God, whether it's something you're praying for, whether it was just a deeper intimacy you're looking for, I'm here to tell you that it's not dependent on what we do and for those who feel like man they know God's good but they keep going back to their old ways they keep going back to that thing that ultimately disappoints I'm here to tell you it's about God's grace as we were singing earlier it said you know when Jesus comes we're going to be dressed not in our righteousness but God's righteousness alone and every time it the word righteousness comes out when Paul wrote it in the New Testament. It never referred to a righteousness of man. It always referred to the righteousness of God. And God wants to dress you just as the prodigal father yeah, embraced and welcomed the prodigal son. So yeah, if you just feel like You've been striving with God. You've been wrestling with God. Just because you feel like it's stagnant and you feel like the promises of God are far away, I just want you to stand up. And if you feel like you've been wrestling with God just because of those old sins that you keep going back to, whatever it may be, whatever shame you feel like it brings, I want you to stand up because... When you stand up, you're not just saying, God, I commit to you, but you're saying, I'm free in you. And when you stand up, stand up in faith, knowing that, yeah, you're really free in God. Make that your statement. Yeah, so if you feel like you've been wrestling with God just because it's been stale and your walk with God's been dry, or if you feel like you just can't, overcome this sinful pattern or sinful habit, I just want you to stand up to your feet as a proclamation, as a stand of faith. If you want a deeper revelation of the Father's love, not the Godfather, but God the Father, stand up.
his ear is inclined towards you.